Hello, this week we're heading for the waiting room here on Search for Truth and as usual we're with your Bible teacher Brian Johnston. We continue this series of studies of what happened in the upper room. These were the final hours which the Lord Jesus spent with his disciples in that upper room before he endured death on the cross. Brian's called this series No Room for Doubt and today, as I said, we consider the upper room as a waiting room. So let's go to Brian now, who's been waiting to come in. Indeed I have, John. Thanks. Now we're told the last thing that we should say to a depressed person is, cheer up. For isn't it obvious that if they could, they would have done so already? Surely we would only have the right to say such a thing if we should happen to have the answer to their problem. Now listen to how the 14th chapter of John's Gospel opens. For most of us, the words will be very familiar. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you, because I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I am coming again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you also will be. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those are the first six verses of John's Gospel, chapter 14. Of course, Jesus' words were no mere platitude when he said to them, don't be troubled. For Jesus himself knew what it is to be troubled. Shortly before he had said this, John has recorded that Jesus had been deeply troubled in his spirit. That was at the point during their table discussion when Jesus had revealed to the group of disciples that one of them was a traitor and would betray him. How deeply this troubled Jesus, for surely it triggered his anticipation of that betrayal and with it of his arrest, shame, crucifixion and abandonment when bearing our deepest troubles, even our guilt and the death that's the wages of sin. But this is so much more than Jesus being able to sympathise because of his own trouble. While there are reasons for the disciples' hearts becoming troubled, there were much greater reasons for not letting them be troubled. These reasons Jesus will begin to explain as he answers the questions of two of those troubled men. By now, they were only eleven, as Judas has gone out into the night. The words of deepest comfort that Jesus now offers could only be for those eleven and could never have applied to Judas. Our hearts become troubled, don't they, whenever we are faced with challenging circumstances that threaten to overwhelm the resources that we have available to deal with them. In his answer to these troubled hearts, Jesus is going to make them aware of a new and powerful resource by introducing them to another helper. When Jesus says, you believe in God, believe also in me, do we not find another of his claims to be equally God? These men believed in the mighty wonders God had performed in their nation's historical survival. And for the past three years, they had seen the miraculous wonders performed by Jesus' own hands. Later, Jesus will draw the conclusion for them. Do you not believe that I am in the Father? And the Father is in me. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father, as he remains in me, 
does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Chapter 14, verses 10 and 11. We said earlier that while there were reasons for their hearts becoming troubled, there were greater reasons for not letting them be troubled. On the one hand, these fearful disciples had every reason to trust Jesus with the dawning uncertainty of the future that confronted them. On the other hand, it was only natural for them to be anxious and afraid at the idea of him leaving them. They'd depended entirely on Jesus for the past three years, and here he was plainly announcing to them that he was departing from them. But to reassure them, he speaks of his personal unity with his Father, who is their God, and tells them his departure has their best interests at heart, for he's going to prepare a place for them in heaven. Wonderfully, Jesus, while facing the distress of his impending cross, comforts his friends in their distress. Two troubled disciples then became spokespersons for the whole group. At the point where Jesus tells them they know the way to the place where he is going, Thomas speaks up. He objects that since they don't even know where he's going, how can they know the way? Jesus' answer to Thomas reminds me of those times when we can't see something for looking at it. Recently, I was sharing a meal with a group of friends, and at one point, one of them scanned the table and asked, Please, could someone pass me the butter? We all laughed, for it was directly in front of her own plate. She'd literally overlooked it. It seems as if Jesus says to Thomas, Thomas, you're looking for the way, and it's standing right in front of you. The other day, I enjoyed reading once again through Psalm 119. Its 176 verses are grouped alphabetically in Hebrew into 22 sections, each of eight verses, and they nearly all make a reference to God's word under its different descriptions, such as commandments, statutes, precepts, etc. But one lesser-known description is the way. God's word, the law of God, was always the way to life. In the upper room, the person whom John has first of all introduced to us as the Word is now presenting himself as the way. Jesus is the way to God, the only way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not wishing disrespect to anyone, but we need to absorb the truth of Jesus' self-declaration here. It means and must mean that no other religious leader in all of history is a way to God. There are not many ways, one way and only one, and that's Jesus. Thomas' request is followed up by one from Philip, who basically says, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Is there something resembling disappointment in Jesus' reply when he answers, in effect, Philip, have I been with you for so long? And still, you don't really know me? Some evangelical portraits of the Christian gospel, as in Jesus, as if he were some kind of whipping boy, such portraits are totally wrong. As Jesus himself said, he and the Father are one. They are always one in attitude and purpose. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19. It was God in Christ working for our salvation. The Apostle John in his Gospel highlights the close working 
of father and son. A reminder, perhaps, of Abraham and Isaac as they went together to the place of sacrifice. When Jesus replies to Philip that to see him is to see the Father, he's saying to him and to us that there's nothing in the Father that's not in him. As I travel and have my passport repeatedly stamped, the image made in ink on the page in my passport corresponds exactly with the stamp that made it. There's nothing in the image that's not on the stamp. And with that in mind, we say again, there's nothing in the character of the Father that's not also found in the character of the Son. Jesus says, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. John 14 verse 11. It was in the very next verse that Jesus went on to say something that sounds shocking. Something we'd never dare to think if he'd not said it. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. John 14, verse 12. Doing greater works than Jesus had done? How can that be possible? The answer is to let subsequent events speak for themselves. After Jesus died, was raised, and had ascended back into heaven, where he is now exalted at the side of the Father, he sent the Spirit of God to empower his disciples as his witnesses. Not only them, but also those who'd follow them in all the generations to come until the present time, because the extent of that witness would be to the ends of the earth. So what were and are those greater works than those done by Jesus? They were the works Jesus commissioned his followers to do when he said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. Matthew 28 from verse 19. In the years that followed Jesus' resurrection and the descent of the Spirit of God, people came to be gathered into local fellowships, known biblically as churches of God. They spread around the Mediterranean and into Europe, most materialising as a result of God's work through the Apostle Paul and his companions on their missionary journeys. Well, in our next study, we'll leave this section we're styling as the waiting room and enter the guest room.
I remind you again that there's a book of all the talks in this series and you can obtain a copy by downloading it at churchesofgod.info forward slash media. Or you could write to us and ask for a hard copy book be posted to you. Just ask for the book title No Room for Doubt and be sure to tell us your postal address. And you can use email or the post and first here's our postal address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wotton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info Now, you may be interested to know that if you go to the website I just mentioned at churchesofgod.info forward slash media, you can listen again to many of these broadcasts off-air by audio podcast or MP3 versions. So why not have a go and see what you can find to enjoy? Well, it's been great to have your company today. Thanks for spending time with us once again. Please do join me next time when, as Brian said, we'll be visiting the guest room. Now I must say goodbye. And I leave you with very best wishes from our Bible teacher Brian, our producer David, our singers and me, John. So take care and in the meantime we wish you God's richest blessings.